You, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. <laughs> Uh, Gary Lippman is joining me again on the podcast. Very excited to have him back. Um, we were just talking before air about um, kind of finding the balance as a writer. Um, I've been working on a book and you can you can get to the point where you could work on it forever. Um, but you also got to find that sweet balance of, of um, uh, getting it as good as you can before you get it out. So thanks for thanks for the good advice, Gary. Yeah. Uh, well- so great to have you back. <laughs> Great to be back with you, Kyler. I have fond memories of our last time speaking. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to that book when you finish it. So let that be a little, uh, a little exhortation for you to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want, to, you want to make it as good as you can, yeah. everything, right? But it, it, it ain't no perfection in this world and probably not in the other. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you got you to, gotta, you know, that old truism that everybody says the perfect is the enemy of the good mm-hmm. you know that's so true and, yeah one one only slightly less corny thing i've heard <laughs> it, but also true is you know somebody said to me about something i was writing if you keep working on that you're never going to get to work on anything else you know yeah. and the other stuff deserves a hearing or a reading as well you know so um plus it ain't fun if you're so sick of the material that you just, <laughs> You know, so you want to find, like you said, beautifully, that sweet balance between making a work, whether it's a novel, a story, a painting, a, a, a rock and roll song, a, a symphony, make it as great as you could be, but recognize you're always going to feel unsatisfied, maybe not right away, but if you look at it or listen to it a few months from now, you're going to say, oh man, I thought it was finished and perfect. But it is, you know. Well, I talked to so. I talked to um, I had an interview a while back, and uh, he he was saying we we're kind of discussing the same type of thing, and how he said when he goes in, he he's read several of his audio, like he's done the audio book version of it, and he said that's a real challenge because, um, you know, these are words you wrote, and then you're going in and reading it, and then you're like, you, you almost are you want to like edit it as you yeah. are going yeah. through, but he's like you have to detach yourself from it and. You know, yeah. you, you just got to read what's there, what you did. It's locked yeah. in. <laughs> I had experience. I haven't done an audio book myself, but I've had the experience of doing bookstore readings <laughs> where, where, you know, right there live and uh, in front of an audience, you know, I want to edit as I'm, <laughs> as I'm reading and have. I've left out a few words or changed a few <laughs> words on the fly, you know, and uh, I mean, that's cool. It's, you know, it's not meant to be set in stone for an audio book. I get that it has mm-hmm. to be conforming. But for the reading, I did it on the fly a bit and improved it. But I was horrified at certain <laughs> word choices and, <laughs> and well, that, things that I believe in rewrite. <laughs> so I'd gone over these things, you know, these texts, the manuscript right. over and over and thought I caught, made it as good as it could be. But that is liberating in a way, because if you realize it's never going to be perfect, you can just pick a date, say by next New Year's Eve, you're going to declare the thing done. I love that. Done for now. And then send it out to publishers and, um, uh, you know, or agents, publishers mm-hmm. and get it on. And maybe they're going to say to you, 
nope, need a wall-to-wall rewrite. And if they yeah. make a good case, then back to it you go. But um, until then, you know, it's good to pick a date. You know what I do when I have like mm. a, a, a headache, not a headache, but like a, a sprained ankle, let's say, that isn't healing. Uh-huh. And I don't know if I should go to the doctor or not. What I'll do is say, you know what, if by next Monday this is still bothering me, I'm going to force myself to go to the doctor. Right. So, you know, a, a, you know, with a manuscript, maybe if by next New Year's Eve, you know, you're going to be done. Win, lose or draw, you're going to start. <laughs> it's such a good point, though. Yeah. Like like, you, you, you know, having all these other ideas, you're like you're like kind of have to push them back if they don't if they don't um, connect to the novel you're currently working on. And I've been working on mine for a while. So that's that's good advice. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I look forward to reading yours. Well, thank you. Um, I should say, so for people who don't know, uh, Gary's novel, Set the Controls for the Heart of Sharon Tate, came out in 2019. And that was definitely one of my favorite novels of that year. Um, absolutely love Thanks. it. So I've been, I've been waiting for, for the um, new one to come out and quite different uh, from, from the first novel. So this one, we, we love the world, but could not stay. Um, also out on Rare Bird Books, I... <laughs> I would love to hear kind of like the the beginnings of this because this has been like a really fun book for me to read and I've been actually been carrying it with me um, more so than I do with other books. Like I just keep it in my bag when I go to work and um, I've read it through, but then I also like to kind of just flip through and pick a pick a spot and it's um you know it's a beautiful book, but it's really fun just to kind of jump around and because it gives you the ability to do that so i would just love maybe tell the audience what kind of the the concept is and um how you started this process well it's a book of as the subtitle sort of on the back is stories for people with a limited attention span (laughs) and and so each story there's over 300 of them and each story is um one sentence long though you can be sure that i break plenty of grammatical rules and make them long sentences (laughs) use use a healthy amount of semicolons and uh a friend of mine mountain girl uh, her name's her nickname's mountain girl she's an old friend and she is very insightful always like on the ball about everything and when i mentioned to her while i was working on this collection that i was doing this these one sentence stories she just immediately said, oh, so they're all, you're, what you're doing is mainly using periods. I mean, you're mainly using commas instead of periods, huh? <laughs> I feel like she nailed me, right? You know, just keep <laughs> for these longer sentences. Many are short, but I, I definitely tried to do some long ones too. And, um, and uh, for me, it was just fun to do something very, as you say, very different from my, I think, 400-page novel. <laughs> It was, I'd like to say it was a reaction to the COVID lockdown, you know, to, you know, with a less of an attention span to start working on these very concentrated short stories, you know, but actually I began it a few months before lockdown. I'd long been interested in really short, short stories, you know, which called flash fiction, sudden fiction, uh, a funny term for them I always thought was short shorts which conjure up the image of, <laughs> do you remember short shorts? Oh yeah, TV? for sure. <laughs> yeah. So calling a, a genre of literature or subgenre short shorts <laughs> just pleases me. Um, yeah. So, you know, 
whether it's one sentence, one paragraph, a hundred words, you know, having a having a rule that you follow, you know, the way Georges Perec, the great French novelist, did his novel, um, which was published in English as A Void, A Void. Do you know about this, Kyler? I, I don't book. know. I don't. Oh, man. Well, prepare yourself for this. He wrote an entire lengthy novel in French in which he never once used the vowel E, the letter E. So in French, he could never use the word le, you know, the masculine Uh form of the, (laughs) and you know, so the word O in in French, E-A-U is water, low, you know, Uh L-A-U. So he could never mention water. He had to work around that. And the entire book, I've I, I've never read it, but I have a copy and I'll open it to random pages and try to catch a letter E and they're not there. And imagine the job the translator had <laughs> into English because he had I think it was even harder than the novelist's job because he had to conform the English language to this crazy thing. So he could never use the word the, the, you know, T-H-E. Yeah. So. You know, that's an extreme thing. For me, I like the idea of making a rule for myself and wanting to write short fiction. So I picked one sentence stories, that every story would be one sentence. And I found it really cool to do. I really took to it. It was fun. You know, not always easy, but always pretty fun. Yeah. Well, one thing I noticed, so I, I mean, I when I got the info on the book, I must have just skimmed it real quick. And I don't think I, I knew they were short story, like short, short stories. But I don't think I I didn't realize that they were one sentence. So I read a good portion of it, um, which I think this is like a this is incredible to me. So I read I read a good, you know, 20, 30 pages before I realized and maybe that's just me being slow. But um, I think the, the clearly the writing style didn't d- detract from it, like it didn't feel forced. So that's one thing okay, cool. when I Thank when you. I realized. Yeah, not at all. When I when I realized. And then I looked at it a little closer on the like the info on the on, on the back. I'm like, these are just one sentence stories. Like, how how incredible is that? Because they didn't, yeah, they didn't seem forced. They well, thank seemed... you. That's music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I, yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. My joke, my joke, Kyler. I have to say is the publisher didn't want to use this as a promotional tagline, but my joke from the very beginning was, if you don't like one story. The next story <laughs> is only half a sentence away. <laughs> yeah, I love so. it. I think that's great because then. Thank you. Yeah. How many times have we all like picked up a book and then we didn't, we weren't into it, and then we just put it down and never picked it up again? So if there's, if there's a short story you don't like, you can just move on. A yeah. Sentence later. <laughs> yeah, that was the idea, you know. I and also, you know, I for I have to be clear, I don't. You know, I still believe in long novels and hope to write more of them, you know, or semi-long. I, I think the long form, you know, novels, long, short stories are great. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm a, um, a bigot in any way, you know, <laughs> longer form. And I think everything should be short, you know, one sentence or one page long. And that, um, that uh, people should have a short attention spans, you know, I just think, or limited attention spans. I just think, you know, for me at that moment, it, it was cool. And during the lockdown, 
it it really was a form I enjoyed working on, you know. Mm-hmm. But I did I did, and you may have noticed in the book I have recurring characters and mm-hmm. recurring themes and settings. Um, so I did try to have the book kind of hang together and not be completely random with stories all over the map without any glue connecting them. Right. You know, no, definitely. Together. I think um, that that that's pretty. Uh, definitely yeah you you notice that the different characters one thing i thought was kind of you know being a teacher um i thought some of these and even just for like someone who's like maybe has writer's block uh i think some of these would actually work well as writing prompts for somebody um like you could continue the story if you wanted to um i don't know I, i just thought it was there's so many i've never read anything quite like this before and it was you know quite inspiring to see something so different i so appreciate that and uh yeah i think you know a cool writing prompt for writing students maybe not you know really well even young kids um write a one sentence story right you know i really don't um have a copyright on it and it was done before me in fact my first idea i'd always been into very short stories as i mentioned but Mm -hmm. But years ago, and we have to give props to this writer, a Vietnamese-American writer named Lin Din. I I think his name is spelled L-I-N-H, and then second name D-I-N-H. Lin Din wrote a a story collection of uh, stories of varying lengths. And the title of that book was uh, Blood and Soap. But one part of that book just was labeled One Sentence Stories. This is about 15, 20 years ago I encountered this, Mm -hmm. maybe 15 years ago. And uh, I don't remember any of those one-sentence stories, but I enjoyed them, except for one story in particular, which I did enjoy a lot Mm -hmm. and do remember, which went something like, I'm not getting the exact wording right, but it was short enough that I can give you the gist. And this is what really inspired me to try writing one-sentence stories myself way back then. And then I let it stop and only came back to it in late 2019 in earnest, you know, writing these. But Lyndon's story that I liked so much went something like, on the morning of his execution, they brought the condemned man out of his cell to watch the sunrise for the last and the first time. That's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, in some way you could say it's a little corny or obvious, but it's actually, I think pretty, you know, you got a lot of meaning there or mm. at least a good dose of meaning for one sentence. Right. Yeah. You no, know, it's about, of course, paying attention and, uh, <laughs> you know, pending execution as I think it was Fam- Samuel Johnson said, focuses the mind incredibly, you know? Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so um, that inspired me. And uh, I just wanted, I started writing them myself and, and uh, found it a great form. So writing prompts, you mentioned, absolutely. And even asking someone, writing students to try to write a story in a sentence mm-hmm. or a paragraph or a hundred words you know, where they have to be careful of how many words there are, mm-hmm. you know, no, not one more, not one less than a hundred, you know, it, it certainly was, um, was, uh, you know, I had to, uh, 
even though I didn't have a word count, I had to be careful to not have the sentence go on so long that I lose the reader. So mm. thank you for saying that you didn't get lost with it. Oh, no, that was it was I, I loved it. Um, I think like, you know, if anything, like doing something like this can only strengthen a person as a writer, like making them a better writer, um, <laughs> which I think is. And, and like I said, it was something that I didn't. I didn't even notice at first, you know, that's how well done it was. Um, but it seems like if you have a rule like the, like the French guy with the letter E uh, or, or just one sentence, it can really sharpen your, you know, awareness um, and attention to detail and help in future projects where you're not even, you know, using that rule at all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That French guy belonged to a group who are worth, checking out you could read about them online there have been books of their work a book called ulipo a paris-based group of international writers many french but many foreign as well and ulipo which is spelled o-u-l-i-p-o that book's been an ex uh, rather that group of writers has been in existence for decades since i think the 50s or at least the 60s mm -hmm. And uh, they meet and have a whole, you know, protocol for meetings and encourage each other to write novels, stories, poems, plays in which they use constraints or rules that hold them back. So that book by Georges Perec that I mentioned, mm -hmm. Avoid, which doesn't have the letter E, is um, an example of that, right? Another thing could be write a poem w in which the end of each stanza mentions the word mayonnaise, you know? <laughs> right, I'm stealing mayonnaise from Richard Brodigan, his book, Trout Fishing in America, uh -huh. where halfway through the book, he says, I always wanted to write a book that ended with the word mayonnaise, <laughs> right? And, and then you forget about it, kind of. And then at the end of the book, the last word, by God, is mayonnaise. <laughs> by God. It's like a door clicking shut perfectly. <laughs> he was a wonderful writer. I don't know if you've ever read him. Richard no, I, what's, it, what's his name again? Richard Brodigan. And he was a, a very popular in the 60s. Sadly, he died by his own hand in the 80s. Um, his name, last name is spelled B-R-A-U-T-I-G-A-N, Brodigan. His most famous book is Trout Fishing in America, although it's a very surreal, wild and woolly book, which I think inspired, among many other writers, it inspired a favorite writer of mine, Tom Robbins. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Who, of course, wrote Even Cowgirls Get the Blues and, uh, and uh, Still Life with Woodpecker and... And Robbins was sort of a presiding spirit for me while writing my one sentence storybook. Oh, cool. And he gave you a great blurb, too. On the, he on gave the me a blurb. Yeah, we become friendly. He's uh, a favorite writer. And uh, we began corresponding and I interviewed him for Literary Hub. Mm -hmm. Wonderful interview. And uh, and he not only gave me a blurb, but I used as a title for one of my one sentence stories, a remark he made in the midst of our correspondence when there was a problem with our uh, meeting, you know, to do the interview, he had something come up, a conflict, 
And then he said, you know, ruining the conflict and, and what and how it had kind of screwed us up for that day. He said, and I quote, the nerve of life to crash our party. <laughs> or to wreck, I'm sorry, to wreck our party. <laughs> I love <laughs> the that. nerve of life to wreck our party. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> yeah. He, he's a wonderful writer and was very influenced, I think, by Richard Brodigan. And, um, and uh, Brodigan also was a one, not a one-sentence story writer, but his collection of short stories, which is called another great title, Revenge of the Lawn. That book uh, is, was a big influence on me and is a real um, uh, Bible for very short stories or short shorts, you know, because a lot of them are very, very brief there too. Mm-hmm. So Brodigan was certainly an influence for me. Well, this is wonderful because I love like one of my favorite things about doing this show is I get um, all these new doors kind of open up of authors that um, I, you know, maybe never ever even heard of or I'm very vaguely aware of. So kind of like it makes me want to go delve into these when I see how passionate some of uh, my guests are. So I'm looking forward to to digging like getting these and, and, and digging into them. Thank you, man. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I mean, what have you been reading lately other than my book? Are you reading something else that really you're one, enjoying? Um, so one, I, I am nearly finished and I, it's, it's, it's an epic one. I've been working on it for a while. Um, Bruce Wagner's new book that comes out in November. Um, it's called roar. So that's a, it's a, it's an oral biography about a fictitious, it's it's really a novel, but it's an oral biography based off a, he's like an actor, an artist, photographer, all these different things. Um, And he's, he's kind of like a, like a genius in a way, I guess you could categorize him that because he's good at everything he does. Like his films are like these, you know, classics in the book. And then like he wrote music and so they're like big hits. So it's just kind of like a, it's really interesting because it's i don't know if you're familiar with bruce wagner's work but oh i am very yeah i love so so this is different from his other stuff because um like the book is called it's called roar compiled and edited by bruce wagner so you have a lot of the people that he's you know making up what they're saying but they're it's as if they're talking to bruce wagner are some of them famous people Oh yeah, like a lot, like tons of like famous real people, people, real celebrities. Right. So he's, he, I mean, he's writing for them, putting words, um, right. making yeah. words for them. But it's like, because kind of like his other books, how he'd always, you know, you know, I think of one book he had, like Michael Douglas. I think it was Michael Douglas in the book, and um, he uses, you know, real celebrities in yeah. in his novels, yeah. which is like, it's really interesting how he does it. But this book is, um, I think it's, I mean, I'm kind of blown away. It's it's 500 pages it's quite wow. epic um and it's just been it's been i'm gonna get it man i'm gonna yeah get you gotta it. get it like i've been um like trying to treasure it you know what i mean because it's like oh when this is done because it's yeah. just such a it's just a great book and i love like i've always liked oral biographies too um because much like you know kind of what we're talking about with your book like short stories you can you can uh read it at a different pace it's almost like you can um, I love reading a novel and, and plowing through it, but I also love having books where you can read for two minutes and put it yeah, aside. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. So that's uh, kind of what his is. Yeah. And I'm so 
glad to hear you say you love oral biographies because I do too, man. Oral biographies, oral histories. Yes. Um, you know what? I'm reading one now. The oral history of the making of the Mad Max movie Fury Road. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which I is hadn't really, heard of that. That sounds, that sounds yeah, really good. Out, came out a few months ago. It's still in hardcover. And it's uh -huh. cool because it's, you know, did you have you seen that film? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's over the top. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, apparently a very crazy shoot out in Namibia in the desert. Huh. And uh, so I've been I've been enjoying that. I've always enjoyed that form. In fact, I remember when I first encountered it in the 80s with the book um, Edie about Edie Sedgwick. OK, I, I, I haven't I know Edie Sedgwick, but I haven't. Yeah. I yeah, that. That was the, I, I, I think that may have been, I mean, no, Studs Terkel did an oral history of the depression. And I think um, he talked to a lot of people about labor, like work and, mm -hmm. you know, different jobs. So that I think came first, but certainly as far as biography, Edie, which was um, compiled, edited by, this uh, writer, intellectual Gene Stein, who um, died a few years ago, she collaborated with George Plimpton, the great mm -hmm. writer, editor, Paris Review um, publisher. And uh, that book, Edie, it's just called Edie. Mm -hmm. It's an oral biography, you know, of course, compiling just the testimony of people who knew Edie Sedgwick. And uh, I read it. When it came out, I've since gotten to know some of the people who were quoted. Who? Oh wow! No, I know I've known two. I guess boyfriends of Edie Sedgwick's. <laughs> um, you know, never really talked about her with them, but you know, encountered their them first in this book, this oral biography. Mm -hmm. Edie, then got to know them in in life, and uh, and one of them, I, I actually, I both. He is, became a very dear friend, and he just uh, died a few months ago. Is a guy named Bob Newworth, who is a remarkable painter and um, songwriter and singer-songwriter. Known to he was Edie Sedgwick's boyfriend. He was Bob Dylan's close friend, and um, in the '60s and '70s, and the the uh, not only a great artist in his own right, but a great um, mentor to mm. artists and many people and i always thought he'd be you know i used to beg him to write his memoir himself yeah. he didn't want to he didn't want and, to huh? yeah he he really had an ethos that you know he didn't he didn't want to reproduce his experiences you know on on paper it mm -hmm. was like you know you were either there in the moment experiencing it or you weren't you know, and yeah. uh, it was about the now, you know, yeah. and uh, but I would love to read a oral biography of that Bob because he knew Bob Newworth because he knew so many interesting people. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's what you want. And I'm sure this Bruce Wagner book has that as well. Yeah, and even though it's fictitious, like it, it just it seems so real. Um, and then, you know, partially because there are so many, um, you know, actual real people that we're familiar with that are in it, but it just, I think maybe it's like the, cause I, te I teach us history. So maybe it's like the historian side that I, I love so much about it, where you hear these different perspectives. And I especially love it when two people will talk about the same thing and it, it, it seemingly contradicts um, the event itself. 
Yeah, that. of course. Like, I really get into that. So the Rashomon effect, you know, that yeah. term. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. But you're going to love it. It comes out. Um, it comes out in November, uh, which is called Roar. So it's it's the guy's his name. The the actor, his name is Roger or but they nicknamed nicknamed him Roar. <laughs> so they call, oh, let's okay. call him Roar. That sounds great. I've loved a lot of Bruce Wagner's books. Oh, and, he's incredible. Uh, yeah, he's a he's yeah, brilliant. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, you're talking about history reminds me um, of a, one of my one sentence stories, but uh, it, it, it kind of, you know, talking about with an oral biography, you know, any biography, you're trying to capture who the person was. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, of course, that was the theme of my novel, the Sharon Tate um, themed novel about a guy who's obsessed with Sharon Tate. But in my book, I have a one sentence story about a little girl in Chicago who becomes obsessed with the bank robber from the 1930s, John Dillinger. Right. I don't know if you encountered that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Unlike the protagonist of my Sharon Tate book, who that guy loves Sharon Tate, wishes he could be with her, you know, be her man. um, This little girl wants to be John Dillinger <laughs> and uh, that the since we're you mentioned you're a history teacher and we're talking about history and you know biographies of course are mm-hmm. form of history in a way um, that Dillinger story came from when I lived in Chicago many many uh, decades ago I um, was somebody pointed out to me the alleyway next to a movie theater where John Dillinger was shot down, where oh, he was wow. and shot down. Huh. And I, I used to stand there sometimes, you know, whenever I went to that movie theater, I'd kind of detour into that mm-hmm. alley, which was always empty and very nondescript. And it's so nondescript that it was kind of remarkable that something super violent and sort of historically rather interesting mm-hmm. and important happened, you know. Um, but it was just an alley, you know, there were, that alley had no plaque saying John Dillinger was shot down here. Mm-hmm. Um, for listeners who may not remember, or know, back in the 1930s, I guess it's coming on a hundred years ago. He was like public enemy number one and robbing banks during the depression and the feds could never catch him. And finally he was betrayed by his lover the so-called lady in red who tipped off the G-men that Dillinger was going to be there, go to the movie with her that night, actually. That's, um, yeah. Yeah. Betrayed and ambushed. (laughs) Uh, have you heard, I think the app is called Clio C L I O. Um, it's kind of like a, I used to use it. I haven't used it in a few years, but it's like, um, it's a, it's a map. So it's like Google earth, but it has um, pinpoints of all these historical events that happened. So there's, oh, wow. it's just like littered with these like pins everywhere. So no matter where you are in the country, you can just like, I can pull it up here in Salt Lake city in downtown Salt Lake city. And you see all these little things that pop up that people add and um, really wow. cool, really cool because yeah, there's so much, there's so many things that happen. That- you know, I think I, I, I've written about that somewhere. Mm-hmm. I can't remember where, but, I often feel that, you know, I'll stop on a corner in New York City where I live and mm-hmm. think, 
was someone killed here? Did someone right. have sex here? Did someone, <laughs> you know, lose their, lose, you know, dis- get kidnapped from this spot, you know? Mm. Or did someone, you know, fall in love here, have yeah. their first kiss here, you know? Um, and it's lost. You know, one, one of my other stories is about a guy I knew named Scott Summer, mm. who was a fantastic writer and becoming a sort of mem- mentor to me with writing um which i welcomed i liked him a lot and one night we went out for drinks to the two of us and we said goodbye i was going to jump on the subway and he was going to go home and uh he lived nearby and we stood on the corner of 65th and broadway in new york Mm -hmm. west 65th and broadway and um it's a big corner it's right in lincoln center but I could still point to the exact part of the sidewalk where we stood, though the buildings around have changed since then 30 years ago. Wow. But we stood talking, said goodbye. And I knew that I would um, be seeing him. I thought I'd be seeing him a week later. Uh, We made plans. And then I got a call a few days later. He died of a sudden heart attack. Oh, my God. And a young man, he was like 43, 40, I think 42. Wow. Published, he'd published some books. They're long out of print. Um, and uh, he, you know, I walk by that corner sometimes and think about him mm-hmm. because he, the corner's still there. He's gone. And when I'm gone, nobody's going to remember that he and I stood there, you know? Yeah. So, you know, Cleo, this app sounds fascinating, you know? I mean, yeah. imagine if it became a mapping of everybody's personal life or imagine oh, wow. a map yeah. your own personal life. Yeah. You know? That'd be um, amazing. That would be amazing. One thing like when I would, especially when I go on, um, I go on vac- vacation or just travel. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's a bad, maybe it's a bad thing. I don't care. I think it's kind of cool. So on Google, on Google um, maps, if you have your GPS on, um, I guess it's good if you're not doing anything illegal because it tracks you everywhere, <laughs> everywhere you yeah. go. Um, right. but what's really cool. So like I've done, I've done a couple trips, like research trips, um, in Los Angeles where I'm going to different locations. Um, and then I'm taking pictures along the way. So it maps it all out for me. So it shows me the route I took, what time I was at that certain spot. And then the images pop up that I took at that area. So that's been kind of like, like a wow. helpful tool for like, um, because part of most of my book takes place in Los Angeles. So it's been a, like really helpful in kind of like, um, you know, kind of fleshing out like the logistics of, of the locations has been kind of neat. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, ain't technology grand. It's kind of amazing what it can do. Although yeah. it sometimes makes me miss. I remember I was just thinking about this earlier today. I ordered a book on, uh, online and, uh, I remember when I first got online, there was a website for out of print books Mm -hmm. that I'd spent years looking for whenever I'd browse in a used bookstore. I'd look for those books. And on the rare occasion when I found one, it would, I'd feel triumphant, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, like it was like hunting for treasure, you know, and you know, finding very treasure, the pieces of eight down there, you know? And uh, when I, got online and found there was this website where you could order, you know, and sometimes if the price wasn't too out of bounds, you know, it was cool, you know, you could order these books. So I had a list of, you know, like eight or nine books that I've been searching for for years. (laughs) And within minutes, 
And, you know, certainly my wallet was lighter once I got <laughs> but But within minutes, they were all bought, paid for, and apparently soon to be winging their way to me. My search was over, you know, and I couldn't help but feel, you know, excited to get those books, mm -hmm. but disappointed that, you know, it, it the hunt was over yeah. and all the fun of the hunt was gone. Yeah. It's so done. true. It's so true. Yeah. Cause it is like, we, we, you know, it's so e things are so easy in a lot of ways, but then, um, like I was just looking at my old Tom, I think Thomas guy is what they were called, like the thick, um, streets. And, you know, so when you're in a city, you'd have your Thomas guy trying to just like figure out where you were, but it was just, I, I tend to remember those instances way more than when I think, um, smartphones i was like in my mid-20s before smartphones became a thing uh so i had like a i had a little bit of, about a decade of a you know chunk of my life where i did have to like work to find out where i was and <laughs> which direction i'm facing and uh yeah. yeah it's no it's so true it's like it, the stuff that you think it, like at least with me i think it was like a kind of a hassle like some of the uh, things of like logistics of traveling or whatever driving going on a road trip um, looking back on it, it was kind of fun. It was fun doing those things. Like it's like an adventure you're searching. Yeah. I, I remember this, this friend it lives in the East village in Manhattan. Um, her cell phone died and my cell phone died and we were supposed to meet. So, <laughs> so this is going to sound absurd, but we both just before the phones died, I, we just kind of, I guess, agreed uh, this is a long time ago. I can't remember exactly. I think we agreed to just find each other by yelling our names. So I just, <laughs> I walked around yelling her name. He was yelling mine. Then I caught, you know, like faintly in the distance, my name, Gary. So I went toward it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, technology as amazing as it is, and it's making possible our conversation now, you in Salt Lake sure. City here in New York, but, um, nevertheless, you know, it's a little, something's lost as well as something's gained, you know? And, Definitely. uh, um, I always remember this guy, uh, kind of on point with what we're saying. I knew, saw this, uh, friend who's a keyboard player and he came to a dinner with a group of friends holding like a portable Casio keyboard. Uh -huh. And he went and he's a, a world class professional, you know, piano player, musician um, and walked into the dinner in you know, the restaurant holding this thing was pretty big. And <laughs> he said, I just bought this off the street. It's like an old, rare Casio, you know. <laughs> but before he said that, when he just walked in holding the big keyboard, a wit a witty guy at the table said, haven't you ever heard of business cards? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great. <laughs> for business cards, you had to carry your wares around with you, right? <laughs> Georges Perec had to carry his uh, letter E or not, not have his letter E with him. By the way, the most delightful thing about that, that saga of Georges Perec writing his book, um, Avoid, and not having any letter E's. Can you guess what he followed that up with? Oh, did he, <laughs> did he like no letter F's? What, like, no, what did it, 
he he i wouldn't have guessed it but when i heard it i laughed my ass off he his next literary work after that was he wrote a short story in which the only vowel was the letter e <laughs> so it's oh, like the, all the e's that he saved up he then used all at once <laughs> oh i love that yeah he um yeah Perek, uh, he his main book just since we're recommending books uh, I haven't read that one, but I did read the book that's said to be his masterpiece and loved it. Mm-hmm. It's a long, really it, kind of demanding, but thoroughly entertaining book called Life, A User's Manual. <laughs> I love and the it's, title. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and that, too, has a kind of rule about it. It's about a, an apartment house in Paris, and he kind of mathematically sets up the structure so he tells the stories of everybody who ever lived in that house mm. ever does currently live in that house or ever will live in that house you know yeah so, that's cool yeah so and the character stories kind of intertwine and there's you know echoes when somebody lived there in like the 1930s and then in modern day they're inadvertently sort of uh, you know, doing things that are echoed by activity that's happening now, but nobody's aware of that, you know, except for the reader, you know, the characters don't catch that, you know, so it's, he was a real special writer, Georges Perec, P-E-R-E-C. I can't wait to check him out. This is, I'm, I'm jotting down notes as we talk today and I'm like, yeah. I'm super excited about um, some of these guys that you've been. Yeah. And of course, last but not least, we, we had the pleasure of talking before we went on air about uh, the wonderful contemporary American writer, Jerry Stahl. Of course. Yes. Yeah. His new book. I know you did a podcast with him, a, a talk with him. Yeah. Uh, his new book, 999 is a masterpiece. I yes. Think. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I just, I haven't started it yet, but I was like, so I've, I read it and then I'm like, I think I want to listen to Jerry read this. So I got the audio book that I'm, going to start at some point um on my yeah. commute so uh jerry's a great he's a great reader of his own work too i've heard yeah. him do and uh he's he's an incredible artist and, yeah and, um, and personality literary personality amazing yeah. guy yeah 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 he's in, he, he's one of the greats i mean i know he would just scoff at that <laughs> he can't take a yeah. compliment half the time but no he um, can't but he's uh he's but wonderful he he's one of my favorites yeah. Well, you got good taste as always, Kyla. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to only put people on here for the most part. I, I would say I think I've done a pretty good job, you know, because this is just ultimately it's a passion project. So I want to have people on that I that I'm a fan of, that I care about, that I'm interested in their work. Um, so like, yeah, like with your with your first book, with the Sharon Tate book, I was blown away with that thing. I, I loved it. Um, so super excited to, you know have a response from you and then um just so yeah, cool well, to kind of keep in touch with people that you've you've become fans of and well thank you kindly i'll look hey i'll interview you when your book comes out if you like. <laughs> i'd love that i'd love that you need somebody to interview you me and yeah, jerry both <laughs> will double team you <laughs> i would love that <laughs> yeah yeah well you, well, you have fair... to ask me clarify what i mean by double team <laughs> <laughs> with, with... <laughs> 
Yeah, so we'll interview. I'll. I, I don't know about Jerry, but I'll be happy to interview you. Well, we were saying, yeah, we were saying before about how Jerry, like, uh, Jerry's really good at flipping the script, and he starts interviewing the interviewer. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it was a fun conversation. Yeah, he was uh, a journalist for for a while, you know. So yeah, uh, yeah. So he uh, he's not only a novelist and uh, essayist and screenwriter. But um, he was a journalist. I remember I asked him once, I know Jerry, and mm-hmm. I asked him once about interesting interviews, and he told me he interviewed David Bowie. Really? Now, there's a conversation I would have loved to hear. Yeah. Two incredible I, personalities. I wonder what he interviewed him for. Uh, I'd love to hear that. That I don't remember, but I remember him telling me what a rich interview it was, that Jerry thought it was. Um, and, uh, pretty different personalities, but both strong, brilliant people, you know? Yeah. So uh, my, um, my wife just, I haven't seen it yet, but my wife went last week and saw the new, I forget what it's called, but it's the new documentary on Bowie. Yeah. Um, and she, yeah. she loved it. She was blown away with it because she didn't really know a whole lot about him. I think I'm, I'm more of the David Bowie fan. So I don't know why I didn't end up going to that, but um, yeah, just like, Especially when you, we, we lose someone like that, I think like the the more time that goes by, the more like you just keep uncovering things about these about these people that have so much depth yeah. and you just they were constantly reinventing themselves. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, he, he was one of my one of my favorite artists, of course. I'm not alone in that. Uh, he just was I still listen to him a lot and think about him. And yeah. Uh, and uh I, I, I was pretty inspired by, I remember writing this new book of mine. I was listening to a lot of Bowie, um, mm. especially uh, the Ber- Station to Station, mm-hmm. his album, and yeah. uh, a lot of the Berlin stuff, you know, Low and Heroes, um, that like mid to late 70s period right. was incredible for him. I mean, I'd listened to all that before, but you know how you get in grooves listening mm-hmm. to albums even if you know them well you kind of come around to them again oh for sure yeah i, I sometimes i'll be like a you know a decade or two or three or four more that you know yeah the older you get and you come you revisit these things and it's kind of cool yeah. hearing them they, um with the way into your work they not only inspire but sometimes they find their way into your work yeah you know, like, yeah uh, i was reading during the lockdown i was reading a biography of hank williams hmm and uh, I ended up writing one or two stories about old Hank. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and he, you know, what a fascinating led, you know, pioneer he yeah. was. And, uh, and I didn't realize I, how young he was when he died. Uh, I had, yeah. I, yeah. He was 29, 29. Crazy. Yeah. 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 He was in his twenties still. Of course mm-hmm. he, he was, he had, you know, he had a, serious drinking problem and he had a uh, uh, great poor health you know mm. like really poor health um apart from the drinking and uh, i'm sure smoking mm-hmm. so he you know he wore himself out but there was one quote i encountered i should have used in the book for everybody else to use now but <laughs> some his mother was a, a really tough kind of brutal woman apparently mm-hmm. and uh this quote from Hank Williams was something like, 
when I get in a bar fight, I don't need anybody by my side except for my mama with a broken bottle in her hand. <laughs> oh, oh, that's the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's maternal love. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so great. Um, yeah. Excellent. Well, I think um, anything else. So I think that might be a good way to end the podcast. I kind of love that quote. <laughs> well, I could give you one that could tie it all together because it just yeah. occurred to me. I did have one of my one sentence stories addresses what we were speaking about mm -hmm. before with finishing things and um, perfection versus just good enough. Right. And that's this one story, um, which, which I call, because all my one sentence stories had titles, or mm -hmm. most of them have titles. So um, this one I titled Goodbye My Book, because it's actually the second to last story in the book. Not the last, but the second to last. Okay. And I'm just, it's very short. So if you don't mind my reading it. Yes, it's please do. I was of, actually going to ask you. I didn't know if you had a copy with you or not. So I was yeah, like, I do. I do. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to read it because it addresses that idea of perfection. Mm -hmm. And so the story titled Goodbye, My Book goes like this. I write stories that are only one sentence long. I explain to you as I plant this book like a time bomb in your public library because imperfection is easier to tolerate in small doses. I love it. I love it. I think I would, I'm going to copy this page and hang it up above my, <laughs> my, my writing area. I love this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely look forward to reading your novel. You, my conversations with you, you know, make plain that you're so serious about literature and I'm sure you're going to write a real good one. Well, thank and, uh, you. That that means a lot. I mean, I've from people um, like you that have said kind things like that. I mean, kind and sincere things. It, it really does give fuel to, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, I've never published anything. So there's that overwhelming, you know, that constant sense of like, oh, not good enough. I think a lot of people probably feel that even people who, who have been published, I hear, have that <laughs> feeling from time to time. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it never I, quite I, goes away. My friend told me and he's published several books. He's like, it's always there. Just, just learn to live with it. It can be your friend and just acknowledge it. Yeah, and, and then, even if you think you are good enough, then there's the whole other problem. Why aren't people recognizing how good I am? <laughs> What's know? wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, and you know, and so the, the bottom line is you'll never get on top of any of that. Yeah. So, and, and for years, I was absolutely paralyzed before I published, right. wanting to publish and writing like a fiend, but I never felt I was good enough and held me back. But um, I always remember reading somebody said, you know, when I was getting really jammed up, trying to be good enough and great and perfect mm -hmm. um, and trying to have all this literary language and really fancy schmancy stuff. Right. Um, I ended up uh, hearing a quote that really kicked me free of that and helped me a lot. And mm -hmm. that quote was, if you can tell a story in a bar, then you could write it. I love that. You know, if you could tell a story and hold someone's attention, because we're not talking about poetry here. Right. Where the, the primary thing is language. And, you, you know, with prose, you want your language to be effective and beautiful and, and you know, um, uh, rich. But 
you know, if you're talking about a novel, unless it's experimental, mm-hmm. um, or you're really going for that poetic thing, um, you want to, you want to be telling a story, right? You know, a lot of great novels don't tell stories or they're shaggy dog stories or yeah. their story is kind of minor compared to the other virtues, but you want to keep the reader turning pages and mm-hmm. tell a story. So if you can speak, uh, you know, truths and, and keep suspense, you know, and have somebody in a bar, for example, or a restaurant listening to you and wanting to hear what's next in the tale you're telling. Yeah. You could do that. You could get it down on paper and then you could go back and improve the language, improve the story. Yeah. But, you know, the main thing is to get it down and then ultimately say it ain't ever going to be perfect. So let me just get this out in the world and maybe it'll come bouncing back at me. But it's good to finally get it out into the world with a deadline or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to seeing yours out in the world, man. Well, this is, yeah, this is really inspiring. And so I hope, I hope other people can take from this because I know like this is, this is just what I need to hear right now. Seriously, this has been very helpful. Well, it's what I would have need, did need to hear for years and years Mm -hmm. and, uh, and life being so short, you just want to go out there and do it, you know, and, and ultimately if it's good enough or not, if it's, received well by people or not it's kind of not under your control or even your business yeah your business is to just write as well as you can and then get it out there and you can't make it perfect you can't Mm. make people love it you can just do your best and then like let go of the rest of it and and just get it out and then move on to the next thing i love that i love that yeah yeah that's great well thank you Thank Gary. Thank you so much. This has been like more of a therapy session on this one. This has been yeah. Well, for me too. I need to be reminded of that all the time, and so do I'm sure George Perec and Richard Broadigan and Jerry Stoll and all these great writers, you know, need to be reminded of that too. Writers are constantly self questioning and Mm. self agonizing and self punishing. So um, I stand with you, man. Write well. Well, thank you. Yeah, this has been this has been an honor on this one. So I, I well, in the future, I, I do have to say before we go. So we're wrapping up now. But, um, you know, I've I've really been enjoying that when I see your like uh, your visual art online. I at some point I got to have you back on so we can talk about. Um, oh, I'd love to you, collage yeah, your art. Yeah, I mean, you've done collage. some yeah amazing stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm just putting that out there. Thank you. Anytime you want, man, I'd love to come on talk about that or just books we're reading whatever yeah. works for you no I this is it, yeah that's great i mean i love having people back on whether they have a project or not if i'm you know we we're friends and i'm a fan and all that so that's um that's well thank you i'd love to anytime man anytime excellent well gary thank you so much and everyone uh make sure you pick up the book we love the world but could not stay out na- out now on rare bird books um incredible and then and then the novel that came out a few years ago, set the controls for the heart of Sharon Tate, very different book, but incredible in its own right. So um, Gary Lippman, thank you so much for being thank on the Salt podcast. Enjoy. Okay. Be well, man. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.